Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Please. Thank you, Leo. Thank you, Seth. Listen, Ray, thank you as well. Thank you. Thank you for everybody who's been serving this morning. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Have you ever known someone who has completely changed because they were in Christ? Well, hopefully all of us have changed some. If we call Jesus our Savior and Lord, we've seen some change in our lives and in the lives of others as well. But sometimes God changes a person drastically that the world has to take notice. Sometimes God makes such a drastic change in an individual that the world has to take notice. And the Apostle Paul was such a man. The Apostle Paul was such a man. His life so dramatically changed that people didn't know what to think. They really didn't know if they could believe it. And when the, when the changes were confirmed, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to take him out. They wanted to wipe him out. They wanted to pretend it didn't happen. Well, today I want to look at the Apostle Paul and the impact he's had on the world through his life and through his writings. So let's pray and ask God to teach us. Father, thank you that when we are in Christ, when we come to you and confess you as our Savior and our Lord, that the Holy Spirit comes into our life and changes us. We are sinners who have been saved and redeemed, adopted into God's family with an inheritance preserved for us in heaven with the Holy Spirit as our guarantee that we are changed people, that we are new. We're no longer Saul, we are Paul. And Lord, as we take a look at the Apostle Paul's life and his focus on Christ and the cross and the gospel this morning, I pray that you will remind us of the changes that have taken place in our own life, that you will remind us of, about the aspects of the gospel and how we need to deepen our understanding in it and to renew our minds in it on a daily basis, that we might be strengthened by it, that our joy might be there for eternity, that we will experience not only peace with God, but the peace of God, and that we'll have such a heart to be able to share the good news of Jesus with other people. Lord, thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for what he was willing to suffer and sacrifice to make the gospel known around the world. Give us that heart this morning. Just pray that you'll speak to us now, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Well, if you will, open up to the book of Acts. 
we're going to look at the first part of this message is really about the Apostle Paul, to look at who he was and who he became in Christ. And then I'm going to share seven aspects of the gospel through Paul's letters, okay? So that's kind of where we're going. And I want to start with chapter 7 in the book of Acts. Leading up to that, um, seven men were appointed by the apostles to oversee the distribution of, of food to widows in Jerusalem. And one of the men that was appointed for that task uh, was Stephen. And in chapter 6, it says that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. It says that he was full of grace and power and did great signs and wonders. Basically, in, in the first part of chapter 7, he gives the history of the nation of Israel. And it's one disobedience after another. He finally comes to uh, verse 51 of chapter 7 after preaching basically the, fail, the failures of the nation of Israel. He says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Here's Stephen who's full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace, full of power. And here he's saying to them, You're so stiff-necked, you don't see, you don't hear, you don't understand. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Just ask a quick question here this morning. Are you resisting the Holy Spirit or is your heart open to the Holy Spirit? All it takes is a quick prayer to humble yourselves and say, Holy Spirit, speak to me this day. So it goes on here in verse 54. It says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged. They didn't like to be called stiff-necked people, disobedient people, resisting the Holy Spirit. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, it's just amazing. He's full of the Spirit. He's full of the Spirit. He's full of the Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. He gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Wow, what a way to go out. Jesus is standing, ready to welcome him into God's presence. He said, verse 56, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, later to become the Apostle Paul. So here's where we first encounter Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, and follies to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, he died. Those words remind you of anybody else who was being persecuted and put to death? Look at chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And here's what Paul says about himself during that period of his life in Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, 
how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul was a zealous man. He was, there was no lack of passion and commitment. It was just to the wrong thing. And so he has to have an encounter with Jesus to take that zealousness, that earnestness, that passion, that commitment, and to put it on Jesus, all right? And we're going to see that in chapter 9. So go to Acts chapter 9. I'm going to read a few verses, but just follow along here. Uh, Acts 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, Remember, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so they called people who followed Jesus, that movement, they called it the way. Men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Here's Saul on a mission, and he encounters Jesus, and he's blinded, and he falls down, and Jesus says, Paul, you're not in charge anymore. I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. He's got a new master now. He didn't ask for it, but Jesus had a plan. Verse 7. So the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand. I mean, just picture this guy. I mean, he's a ferocious giant at this point, and now he's being led by the hand like a child. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Wonder what he was doing. He's just there laying for three days, neither eating nor drinking, and he's blind. Well, it tells us a little bit later what he's doing. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, verse 10. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. <laughs> I always like that. The Bible just so matter-of-factly, you know, appears to him in a vision, he says, Ananias, yeah, I'm right here. What do you want? What do you need? It's kind of like, boom. I don't know. It just seems funny to me. Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. Tarsus was, was uh, Saul or Paul's home city in uh, Cilicia, modern-day Turkey. For behold, he is praying. Oh, that's what he was doing. He was blind, neither ate nor drank, but he was praying for three days. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings 
and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. Quite a call. You're going to travel all around the world and suffer a lot for my namesake. Here's Paul pouring on suffering to those that are following Christ. And now Christ says, now it's your turn to suffer for my namesake. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. I think both physical sight as well as spiritual sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Note the transformation and the change in Saul's life. Here he is, throwing people in prison, standing there and giving the thumbs up to the execution of Stephen and probably others. So viciously attacking the church that he's not only wanting to do it in Jerusalem, but hey, let me go to Damascus too and, and find people who have fled there and bring them back in chains to Jerusalem. And now here he is proclaiming Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. Wow. Wow. I mean, that would make your head spin if you knew Saul before and then saw him afterwards. People would be very confused by that. So go now to Acts 13. Saul, in the meantime, has gone from Damascus. They wanted to kill him there when he began to proclaim Christ, so they, they put him in a basket and let him down through a hole in the, in the wall of the city. He went to Jerusalem and uh, wanted to meet the apostles, but of course, They'd heard of Saul. They didn't want to meet this guy. So Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, had to grab him and take him and introduce him to the apostles. Well, when Saul began to proclaim Christ in Jerusalem, guess what? They wanted to kill him there too. <laughs> so they sent him off to Caesarea, and ultimately he went back to his hometown of Tarsus for a while. All right, And somewhere in that time too, he's also being instructed in, in Arabia, in the desert. Christ is giving him what I think is probably the full gospel, uh, that revelation of that. So eventually he's there in Tarsus, and Barnabas ends up in Antioch, all right, a little bit north of Jerusalem in Syria. And uh, there's a lot of people there that are, the church is developing. And uh, Barnabas thinks, you know what? We need Saul. We need Saul here to help us with, with all these people that are coming to Christ. So he goes and, and gets him. And so we pick it up here then in chapter 13 with Barnabas and Saul both being at Antioch. Verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. 
So again, here, the Holy Spirit is doing His work. They're worshiping, they're fasting, they're waiting upon the Lord. And the Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to. All right? So in the rest of the book of Acts, which I kind of preached on last month about, you know, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. So we see that continuing to happen. The Holy Spirit came on Stephen. The Holy Spirit came on Saul. And they were then, they received that power and they were effective witnesses. So in the rest of the book, all right, we see Paul's three missionary journeys, all right? And during those three missionary journeys and, and in, in between visits, as well as some time in prison in Rome where he wrote the prison epistles, and then when he was let out, he wrote First Timothy and Titus. Then he went back to prison a second time. Eventually he was martyred, but during that time, he wrote his last book of Second Timothy, all right, which is very personal. We'll take a look at that a little bit later. Now, some say that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Others say, no, it was probably somebody else. I don't know. I tend to think that Paul probably wrote the book of Hebrews. But if he did, then he wrote a total of 14 letters or books. And uh, we're going to just briefly look at some of those books today as we go over these aspects of the gospel. All right. But the gospel was the main theme of Paul's life. He said, for me to live is Christ. He was called to be an apostle and called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. But Saul, later become Paul, also went to the synagogue in every city as well. And so he was proclaiming Christ to his brethren, the Jews. And lots of times they would reject him. And so then he would go to the Gentiles and proclaim Christ. So let me share with you seven aspects of the gospel that Paul preached. And I want you to keep this in mind as we're talking about the gospel. I want you to always remember it's good news. The gospel in every aspect that we're going to look at is always good news. When Paul proclaimed the gospel, he suffered a lot. We may have to suffer suffer in proclaiming the gospel, but just keep this in mind. You're taking the best news that God has to offer us to the world. It's good news. Shouldn't we embrace the good news, love good news, live the good news, and share the good news? And that's what Paul did. So the first aspect of the gospel that Paul preached was that, first of all, Paul was called and set apart for the gospel. Romans 1, 1 to 3 says this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, that terminology, you know, being set apart, means that God, before the foundations of the world, chose Paul to not only come into a relationship with him, but then to use him in the way that God had planned. He had been sanctified. He had been proclaimed holy. He had been set apart for holy purposes. Paul didn't just decide, well, you know, you know, Jesus is a good thing. I think I'll wander around the world and tell other people. No. This, God called him as an apostle. And God set him apart for this specific ministry. So I guess the question we should ask is, what is God calling us to? What has he set you apart to do? Oh, yes, 
love him, follow him, serve him, share the gospel, all those things. But I really believe that God has specific calls and, and has, has set us apart for specific purposes and reasons. I think God is, is concerned with the details of our life. And he leads us in very specific ways, which requires listening. Meditation in the word and, and prayer, conversing with other believers. Trying on certain ministries and things to see if the surge of the Holy Spirit pours through you in that particular way, if your gifting matches up with that particular thing that you feel called to or set apart for. It's a lifelong work, okay? Sometimes you have to go, keep going back to the drawing board. I mean, we get it wrong. We don't hear perfectly all the time. Can, can we just be honest about that? We don't. But guess what? The one who's called us and set us apart never keeps speaking to us. He's just so compassionate. He's so loving. He wants you to be in his will. He wants you to experience just the thrill of that, the victory of that. Sorry, I wasn't thinking I was going to get so emotional about that, but I am. I'm still on Romans 1. Here we go. Called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh, goes on to say who was proven to be the son of God through the resurrection, basically. And then Galatians 1, 15 and 16. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, right there on the road to Damascus, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I guess the main point here is that Paul was born to share the gospel. And you and I were born again as a result of the gospel. What's the truth there? The gospel is life-changing. Paul was born to share it. We were born again as a result of it. The gospel is life-changing. You see it in Paul, Saul, Paul's life, and hopefully we see it in our lives as well. The second aspect is that Paul received the gospel by divine revelation. Paul didn't have to read a book. He didn't have to go and consult with all the apostles in Jerusalem and hear what their, what their take was on the good news of Jesus. What did that mean? He was taught by the Lord himself. This is how we can trust Paul's gospel. It came directly. It was direct divine revelation that he got it. Galatians 1, 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that, what, that was preached by me is not, a man's, is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel is God-centered. It's not man-centered. What does that mean for us? It's reliable. It's dependable. You can bank on it. All right. The third aspect of Paul's gospel. Paul's gospel was the message of the cross. 
That was the good news. The cross was the good news. And you think, suffering and death, that's good news? Yes. Because three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, and because he went to the cross, your sins are forgiven, and because he rose, you, you, will, you will rise. That's good news. Did it involve some suffering to get to the good news? Yes. 1 Corinthians 1, 17 and 18, which is a passage that we studied in our city groups not too long ago. It says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. In other words, don't be impressed with me. Be impressed with Jesus and the cross. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The word of the cross is the power of God. And then verses 22 to 24 in that same chapter says, For Jews demand signs and Greek and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The cross is the power of God. The cross is the wisdom of God. The world considers it folly, but the world's wisdom is not wisdom. It's what you might call fake news. I don't know, was that a good choice, Don? I'm not sure. Maybe it was, maybe not. 1 Corinthians 2.2 2 says it very succinctly. Paul says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, I could have come and tried to impress you with the knowledge I have of this great revelation of Christ. You know, Paul, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he was the one that was somehow transported to the third heaven. Paul's heard a thing or two. Paul's seen a thing or two. But Paul says, instead of trying to impress you with the blessings that God's brought into my life, let me just refer you back to Jesus and the cross. You know, if you're like me and don't know anything, it's, it's good just to preach Jesus and the cross. But if you're like Paul and you know a lot and you're, you're educated and you're wise, it would be very tempting to be eloquent and to draw attention to yourself. But Paul says, I'm not going to do that. The only one that deserves attention, the only one that, that deserves fame, fame and glory and recognition is Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross. That's all I want you to know. For to me, to live is Christ. That was Paul's life. Paul knew there was going to be suffering. The Lord had told him that. He said, Paul, I'm going to sustain you till it's time for you to come home. But there's going to be suffering. But Paul learned this. No cross, no crown. I think Grant said that a few times in his messages. The cross first, then the crown. You can't skip the cross and just take the crown. So the truth here is that it's truthful. The gospel that Paul preached, it's truthful. It doesn't hold back on the, the tough part of it. It's very truthful about it. But it always ends in glory, friends. It always ends in glory. You know, life goes by on this planet quickly. And the older you get, the, 
the more you realize just how fast life goes. Enjoy your life. Live each day to its fullest. But don't focus on this world. Don't focus on this life. Focus on the life to come. Focus on truth that's not just truth now, but focus on truth that's eternal in the heavens. And that is the gospel. Be able to say with Paul, for to me to live is Christ. That's where God wants to bring us to. That's where the real joy is, the real peace, the real power. It's in the cross. The fourth aspect of Paul's gospel, and gospel means good news. All right, so the fourth aspect of the good news is that Paul's gospel was the message of Christ's death. Well, you just mentioned cross. Well, yes, naturally, if probably you're on a cross, you're going to die. But kind of same thing, but a little bit different. Uh, here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, in other words, without Christ, without God, and no hope in this world, while we were in that condition, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8 says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10 says, For if we were enemies, for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. The message of Christ's death. That was Paul's gospel. And then here's what he says in Colossians 1 21 and 22. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled or brought back into a relationship with him in his body of flesh by his death. We could not have been reconciled had there not been a perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God. We could not have been reconciled. In order to present you holy, Here's the reason why you're reconciled, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. So because of Christ's death, we go from alienation, hostility, and evil to holiness, blamelessness, and being above reproach. Connected with God through Christ. So the main point here is I think he died for us so that we might live for him. And the truth I would draw out of that is it's sacrificial. The gospel calls us, shows us Christ's sacrifice and calls us also to sacrificial living. The fifth point, the fifth aspect of Paul's gospel. What's gospel mean? Boy, some of you are slow to learn. Okay, fifth point. Paul's gospel said that we died with Christ. Not only in the, does the gospel proclaim Christ's death, it proclaims that we who are in Christ, who have a relationship with him, we died as well, all right? Turn to Romans 6, if you will. Romans 6 has a lot to say on this topic, so we're going to read a few verses in Romans chapter 6. By the way, if you don't, didn't bring a Bible, we have some Bibles in the back. If you want to get, get up and grab one, that's just, that's just fine. So Romans 6, verse 1, and uh, what I'd like you to note is the number of times the passage says that we died with Christ. Be looking for that, okay, that we are dead in Christ, who died with him. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? 
By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Whew, what truth. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, see, we're united in his death, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died, that's us, has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. When we are united with Christ through faith, when we put our faith in Christ alone for forgiveness and salvation, for a place in heaven, a relationship with him, when we do that, when we're connected to him, it means that we, what Christ experienced, we experience because we are in him as well as he is in us. So the death that he went through also was our death as well. And the life then that he experienced in the resurrection is our life as well. That's why the the book, I think it's 1 John, where it says, as Christ is in this world, so are we. Isn't that amazing? That in Christ, as he is, so are we. Again, no cross, no crown. In this case, the old man has to die in order for the new man to live. The old man, the sinful nature, is in control. It's the master until we confess that life, forsake that life, invite Christ into our life, and the Holy Spirit comes in and takes up residence. Then we have a new master so that we can die to that old man and then live the new man, or as it says here, to walk in newness of life. One of the things I'm going to remind you at the end of this message is that we have to renew our minds in the gospel daily. If you don't, then it's too easy to be dragged into the conversation of the world and to begin to see yourself and your situation from the world's eyes. And that's why our minds have to be renewed daily in the Word of God, in the the gospel of who we are and how we got there and what we possess and what we can look forward to. That renewal is so critical because then if, if you're feeling just a little bit down or weary or disappointed or hopeless or whatever it might be, all those things just get lifted up as you think about the good news of the gospel. So that's why it's important to be sharing it because, you know, as you learn something, as you apply it to your life, and then as you share it, it becomes real. It becomes real when you share it, when you live it, 
when you express it to people. But if you just kind of keep it to yourself, then it has the opportunity to just kind of wither and to die a little bit. So we always have to be involved in both proclaiming and demonstrating the good news of Christ so that it lives in us and just flows, the Holy Spirit then flows with the truth of the gospel in us and through us to reach other people. So the truth here is that death brings life. Dying to the old man brings an eternal new man. The sixth aspect of Paul's gospel is that Paul's gospel said Christ lives in us. Now that's something, isn't it? You can not only have a relationship with Jesus, but he actually lives in you. Listen to Romans chapter 8. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness, Christ's righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. And then, and then Paul, as he's speaking to the church at Colossae in, in chapter 1, verse 27, speaking to the saints, he says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, in the, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would, would come upon kings and prophets and people to empower them to lead or to speak God's word. But not every saint in, those, in that economy was given the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it, it wasn't a permanent thing. It was just a temporary thing. But in Acts chapter 2, the day that we say the church began when the Holy Spirit came upon those 120 people, we have the opportunity to be that temple, to be the temple of God, to have the Holy Spirit, to have the Spirit of Christ, to have Christ abide in our life, to be right there. Wherever we go, Christ goes. So you're not talking to a God who's way out there. You're talking to a God who's within here. Jesus said, I will be with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. We are God's temple. That's the good news. Christ lives in us. That is our hope of glory. If the Spirit of Christ, if the Holy Spirit, if Christ lives within us, then we know that we are His for eternity. That's the good news of the gospel. Whew. Last one, seven. Paul's gospel will strengthen us in Christ. Again, another reason for renewing your mind in it on a daily basis. It will strengthen you. Do you feel a little spiritually weak? Your knees a little feeble, your hands, you, can't, you, you, you need to be reminded. Verse, uh, Romans 16 says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings, including Paul's, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God, 
to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. To him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. The gospel gives us strength to carry on. I don't know about you, but I need that strength pretty much every day. <laughs> and about the time I don't think I need it, God reminds me, hey, Gary, you, you need me. You, you need the truth of the gospel today. Yes, I do, Lord. Thank you for the reminder. Listen to these two quotes about the gospel. This first one is by Jerry Bridges. He says, To use an expression, we must preach the gospel to ourselves every day. For me, that means going back to the scriptures such as Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way but the Lord has laid on him, on Christ, the iniquity of us all. Or Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Or Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You remind yourself of some of those truths, and you'll be strengthened by it. And then he says also, sometimes I repeat frequently, I frequently repeat the words from an old hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And then a quote by C.J. Mahaney. He says, never be content with your current grasp of the gospel. That's pretty cool. You may think you have a handle on the gospel, especially us preacher types that have, you know, preached it a lot. Oh, I got a handle on the gospel. No. You never be content with your current grasp of the gospel. The gospel is life permeating. It's world-altering, universe-changing truth. It has more facets than a diamond. You ever look at a diamond? You kind of move around it, kind of see it glow and glisten different parts. The gospel is like that. It's a diamond that you can never get tired of exploring. Its depths man will never exhaust. So let me close with one more passage and then an acrostic on the gospel, and I'll end this message. First of all, I'll close with the, with the verses that Leo read to us just a few minutes ago. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Here is the gospel. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance. Here's the critical parts. And I also received it. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried and he rose again. It was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So if anybody says to you, well, what is the gospel? Christ died, he was buried, and he rose, just as God had preordained and planned from, you know, before time. That's the gospel. That's what we have to believe. That's what we have to embrace. Now, I created a little acrostic here just to kind of give you some of my thoughts in terms of what the gospel is. So I'm going to give you each a little, little line for each of the letters in the gospel. First one is G. The gospel is God's plan to save sinners. 
Letter O, the gospel is offensive to the proud of heart. Letter S, the gospel is simple enough for a child to understand. Letter P, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Letter E, the gospel is eternal in the heavens. And letter L, the gospel is life to those who embrace it. So two questions. Have you embraced the good news of Jesus Christ? Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Have you embraced that truth? Have you received that truth? Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? For those of you that have done that, my question to you is, do you embrace it daily in order to be strengthened by it, to renew your mind in the truth of the gospel? Well, how do I do that? Well, you read and pray. You listen to biblical music. You worship. A lot of different ways that you can renew your mind in that. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the gospel. Thank you for speaking it in your prophets throughout the ages. Thank you for the way that uh, salvation, redemption has, has been woven into all of the history of Israel and the church in the New Testament. The promises that you have proclaimed that even to Abraham and you all the families of the earth will be blessed and the Davidic covenant and the new covenant. And thank you for men like the Apostle Paul and others who took the gospel around the world. But Lord, we're right here now. We need the gospel. We need to know the various aspects and truth of the gospel. Help us, Lord, to embrace it, to believe it, to live it, to share it with others. Lord, thank you for its power. It's not something that we can manipulate or create or legislate or plan or work for. It's simply the grace of God through Christ. And Lord, I pray if there is anyone here today that does, has not embraced that truth, that their hearts will be open to you right now, that they would receive the truth of Jesus and the truth of the good news in Christ. Lord, let us be those that would live the gospel, to live Christ, and our life would be an overflow of that joy that comes from that, and that we would teach it and spread it to those that we know. In Jesus' name, amen.